Welcome to Pushing Through. I am Tate Frazier, and as always, I am joined by the kid, BJ Armstrong. And today, we have a very special guest, and he really needs no introduction. You know him. We all love him. He is, of course, head coach Larry Brown. Coach Brown, we appreciate you coming on Pushing Through. We need your wisdom in these basketball times, and we appreciate you sharing it with us. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks. Of course. Coach, thanks so much for coming and. It's always great to see you. You look nice, relaxed. You haven't lost any games. So I know you're relaxed, but I know you're watching every game. Coach, tell us what you're seeing. What what does what does a Hall of Fame coach see that the rest of us are not seeing about today's game? Well, I'm just worried about this COVID thing. You know, mm. thankfully, you know, the NBA is going to start and hopefully people can stay healthy uh, you know, going in the bubble, I think he gave a lot of people an opportunity to watch basketball, you know, which I think we all missed. And the way the NBA handled it was amazing. And the best team won. And then the team that lost played the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people that appreciate the game, you know, respected what the Lakers were able to do and win a championship but also admired the way that Miami Heat played. Um, so it was good if you're a coach and love the game and want people to enjoy the good parts of it, that was a good way to end. And Coach, that is uh, your mantra. You always say that, play the right way. That is something that you kind of live your life by, that you want to you know, play the game and do the game. It's justice, it's due. And you know, when we talk about the game of basketball, you know, there has been the the pace and space. BJ and I talk about it all the time. That is the big fad that is in, you know, in basketball in general. But I think you're you're a purist in the same way that BJ is, in the same way that I am. We love offensive rebounding. We love the bigs. We love fouling people. We love going to the free throw line. So so what is it? Are there any programs or teams that you see that play the right way? You mentioned the Miami Heat. Is there another team maybe in college or in the NBA or, you know, overseas or someone that plays the right way in your mind? Well, I think it's, you know, the sport is kind of a copycat sport. Um, mm-hmm. When Coach Wooden was having all that success, everybody ran a 2-2-1 press and UCLA's high post offense. And then with Coach Smith and Coach Knight, you know, Coach Knight ran motion. Coach Smith ran passing game. Um, you know, I look, BJ played with, you know, some really great players. Um, you know, I think if Michael played today, uh, he averaged 50. You know, you can't touch anybody. Um, they don't throw the ball inside. You have anybody, you know, that wants to shoot an outside shot, shot an, shoot an outside shot. So it's hard for me. I respect what the game's about. Um, I admire the coaches that are doing it. But uh, I like to see the ball moved. I like to see high percentage shots. I like to see us utilize big guys. <laughs> I wish they'd do away with pick and roll. If they did that, I think guys would have a heart attack. Um, but, I, but I think it would make the game better because refs don't know how to call it on offense and they don't know how to call it on defense. And 
everybody does it now. Um, so, but I, I just love, love the fact that um, it's a great game. And when it's played the right way, it's really special. Um, mm. But our backgrounds are similar. You know, BJ played on teams that utilized their whole bench. Older guys played. The young guys got to learn and before they got into play. And the whole deal was to play great defense, play hard, share the ball, take great shots, and make your teammates better and be happy when you did that. And that's mm. what I'm about. Mm. You know, Coach, you know, I was so fortunate when I did play that I came into a league with truth tellers like yourself and Phil Jackson and the late Chuck Daly and so forth and so on, so many wonderful coaches. Mm. You are a purist in every sense of the word. I mean, you're a lifer of the NBA. You love the game. You revere the game. But tell me about the truth tellers in today's game. Because the game now is, when I watch the game, how can everyone be playing the exact same way? I know it was a copycat league. You're imitating success. But do you think that's good for the game now? Or... How is that affecting the game today as you see it, as we continue to evolve from when you first started coaching and playing, you know, basketball? Well, you know, I owe everything to basketball. Um, you know, I got an education. Um, my mom couldn't afford to send my brother and I to school. So, you know, I got an education out of it. I met so many unbelievable people. Um, it's been such a big part of my life. And then I see the people that have helped me, how successful they become. That's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me, to have people that work with you, that share ideas with you, that have your back, um, players and coaches, and you see them go on and do wonderful things. That's that's everything. But I, I don't like the game now. I'll tell you why, BJ. Um, we never talk about all these young kids that put their name in the draft that don't get drafted where are they we talk about a lot of these young kids that they get drafted right out of college and we say they're a failure what happens to them um when you played you know most of the guys went three four years to school so then when they got in there in the nba they earned the right to play they were taught how to play they knew their role they were excited about doing their role and then when they were finished playing because they went to three or four years of school, they had life after basketball. And I worry about that now. Uh, when I went to school, um, my mom didn't expect me or my brother to support her. I see so many of these young kids now that are going to school, only think they're staying one year, and they feel the pressure that they have to support their family. And that really troubles me. Um, mm. And now I see the NBA having a G League and telling kids not to go to college and go into the G League before they go to, you know, have the opportunity to be drafted. And that troubles me. You know, I, I think, you know, if you're LeBron or Anthony Davis, you know, Will Chamberlain or somebody like that, yeah, I don't think there's a problem going from high school to the NBA. You know, because golfers can do it, tennis players can do it, magician, musicians can do it. But it's not, there's only a few of those guys. So, let them draft kids in college, let them stay in college, put their money in escrow. And when they're ready to play like Larry Bird, 
let them come out and play. And then they'll be more, I think, ready to handle the things that you and I know are pretty difficult when you're young. Because all you think of when you're sitting on the bench is I should be playing, <laughs> especially now with social media. And as soon as you walk out of the gym, somebody's texting you and saying, Coach Jackson didn't let you shoot enough. Well, you didn't mm -hmm. get to play enough, you know, and, and that bothers me. And then what you said about being a copycat league, um, everybody saw Golden State's success when they had Durant, you know, with the group. And that, that team, nobody could be like that because everybody that could take it off the backboard could start a fast break. Mm -hmm. Everybody could probably score the ball but really had more fun passing the ball and could play any position on the court, could guard most guys, and were totally happy with making their teammate be better. And now everybody's trying to play like Golden State, and I don't, I don't see that as a possibility. Um, you played for, you know, Phil Jackson. You know, everybody talked about Tex and the triangle. Well, you know, the triangle to me was great because there was spacing and you had to move the ball a little bit. But at the end of the day, when Michael was playing or when Scotty was playing or when Shaq was playing or Kobe, they made the triangle adjust to those guys. And then the people around them, you know, had a role and they became part of that. And I think that was a beautiful way. And I think every coach's responsibility is put a BJ Armstrong in a position where he can do his best. And, and every coach to me shouldn't be a workout coach, <laughs> you know, or a developmental coach. You know, we should have teachers you know, when I started in the ABA, it was Doug, Moe, and I. We were the coaches. <laughs> and neither one of us probably knew how to coach at all. <laughs> but, you know, we had a relationship with every player, and every player knew exactly where they stood with us, what their roles were, what their responsibilities were, and we were there to make them better. Philadelphia had 17 coaches last year. <laughs> I think about that. Mm. I wouldn't – I. You know, I'm bad with names. I would have had a hard time <laughs> respecting my coaches enough to call them by their right name. So. Yeah, it's a little bit different, Coach, definitely. And I think one thing that's fascinating that I found out just talking to you is that you still have these younger guys, like a Cade Cunningham type you know, player that's in college basketball, these younger players. And BJ and I, we always talk about passing the baton. You need to pass that wisdom on to the next generation so that the game continues to thrive. So what is that onus that you take on yourself to pass it, you know, to pass down that wisdom to some of the younger guys in the game? I, you know, I'm lucky I get invited to a lot of colleges to watch people play, and then everybody asks me to give them my ideas. And I'm, I'm, really, <laughs> I'm thrilled that I get to go and watch, but I'm very careful before I – tell anybody what I think because I don't want to make anybody feel like I don't respect their knowledge, mm. but we're not teaching the game anymore. You know, everywhere I go, I, I think I told you about this. Everybody asked me to give them a good closeout drill or good blockout drill or good mm -hmm. transition defensive drill. And you'll like this BJ. I always ask every coach, how much time you spend playing one-on-one, -on -one, two on two, three on three. Um, how much time do you spend on good shot, bad shot? 
And then how much do you emphasize every time a shot goes up, who goes to the board and who blocks out? And so transition defense, I said, well, the drill should be we take a great shot, rebound the ball, and get back. And don't surprise our teammates with a bad shot because there's no transition defensive drill that's going to work on that. And then you don't need a closeout drill if you spend time on guarding a guy one-on-one or two-on-two or three-on-three. You won't have to spend time closing out or running them off the three-point line. So spend more time on that other stuff, even with big guys, because you'll become more athletic. And the way we switch now, everybody's switching now. Big guys have to learn how to keep people in front of them anyway. So I try to be real careful in what I say and how how I give them back the information that I was taught because I do respect their knowledge. You know, I, you know, we talked about analytics. Analytics drives me crazy because all the information you can get, you need to get. That's your job as a coach. You should value information people give you. But I, I did analytics when I was 14. You know, I knew we had to get fouled more. I knew we had to take high percentage shots. I knew how we, we had to take care of the ball. I knew how we had a guard. I knew how to, how the fact we couldn't give up easy baskets. Um, and I, I always, with that, I looked at a stat sheet and a lot of them really made sense to me. Um, but at the end of the day, we're spending too much time on analytics and not enough time on teaching kids how to play. Mm. You know, Coach, you I've always wanted to ask you this question. And when you see these amazing talents like an Allen Iverson, what was the decision on not just saying, you know what, you're going to be a point guard and allowing him to express himself in the talent that he had in the way that you were able to coach him and the guys and success that you were able to have because of his size. I mean, he was such a unique player. And I always like to tell the story. He was the first player that really put me in retirement. I mean, when he, when I saw him the first time, he was running so fast. I go, you know what? It's time to retire. <laughs> but I thought it was, I thought he was such a unique player. And how you were able to manage him and manage his unique skill set. What was the decision to say, you know, he, I don't know if he was a point guard or a two guard or what have you, but I just remember him and Eric Snow. I just thought it was a very unique setup that you had and it was, and it worked. Like what was your decision in going about that when you first saw him? Well, when you saw him, you thought he put you in retirement. I thought the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, I remember BJ, um, one time when I was playing with Coach Smith and I was trying to do too much, he took everybody off the court and said, you play against those five guys by yourself. And I took the ball like, like a fool. I was ready to play him. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 no. You need somebody to take the ball out of bounds. <laughs> so... I I tried the same thing with Allen, and he did the same thing I did. You know, I'll show you, Coach. So he was going to play the five guys, and I said, hey, Allen, you'll need at least one guy to take the ball out of bounds. You know, so we laughed about it. But um, when I first got him, um, he was so good that every time he got the ball, 
he tried to beat his man. And mm. most of the time he could. But, you know, I thought this is much too difficult for him. And the other thing is um, he had to guard point guards. And point guards in the NBA were the best and had the ball all the time. And as much as he was giving you on offense, you know, if he's going to have to pick up like we wanted him to and then carry us on offense, I thought that would be difficult as well. So we looked around to try to find people that could guard the ball. And we got Eric, Kevin Ollie, Larry Hughes, Aaron McKee, George Lynch. We got a, we had a bunch of guys around Allen that could guard the ball. And then people would always take him in the post and he didn't want to foul. Cause if he fouled, he knew I took him out. <laughs> so he played behind you and let you score. So I said, I told Allen, I said, Alan, look, all you have to do is front the post We'll guard the ball tough. We'll help you from behind. And you couldn't throw the ball over his head. So now I got him to know that he could be a two-guard on defense, and he loved it and was great at it. Mm. And then as a point guard, I told him, look, I can always call a play for you. You don't have to worry about it and look to seek a shot because at the end of the clock, the ball always gets in the best player's hands anyway. Mm. So mm -hmm. I said on a, a steal – or if you get a rebound, you can be a point guard. But otherwise, you're going to be a shooting guard, and we're going to run every play for you. And that was great with Allen. Now, I had to have special guys on the team to accept that responsibility and say, hey, coach, what about me? Throw me a bone once in a while. Right. But all these guys understood that we were better playing that way. He never surprised us with a shot. We knew he wanted to win so badly that everybody bought into, you know, his greatness and the way he played. And they knew it made me a much better coach because I didn't have to fight with Allen all the time. I gave him. <laughs> <laughs> you guys had an you understanding. Know, you had an understanding. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and plus, if I would run a play, you know, everybody talks about the Iverson cut and all these plays no matter what play i ran alan figured out a better way to run it and we all played off of him we became a great rebounding team we were unbelievably defensively and we were a great team getting back in transition because we never were surprised by the shot that was coming up and you couldn't guard it. and the more we moved the defense and had people that were willing to give them the ball the better we became and I have to just mention, Coach, just for your sake, George Lynch, he was hurt in the finals. So, uh, you know, there, who knows what happens when we have a healthy Sixers team. You know, George Lynch, one of my favorites, a national champion. So I'll just say that. I'll say that for you, Coach. You don't have to say that. <laughs> we, had, we had a bunch of guys, but that, that Laker team was pretty good. <laughs> they, were, they were pretty good. That's right. And coach, and then, you know, co you know, three years later, you take the Detroit Pistons uh, to the NBA finals. Obviously you win the NBA championship. Uh, you know, co you know, Joe Dumars is obviously a, you know, a friend of this program. He's come on here a few times. We love Joe D, but that just time in Detroit with that Pistons team. Uh, a lot of people talked about that Pistons team this year with the Miami heat, about the toughness that they had as a, as a singular unit, they played the right way. Like you said, quote unquote, uh, just that year, that team, Rashid Wallace, Ben Wallace, 
us all those guys. Big shot Billups, Chauncey Billups. We obviously love Chauncey here as well. What was it like having that unit and obviously, you know, reaching the mountaintop and, and winning an NBA championship? First coach to win a college and NBA championship. Well, you mentioned Joe. Um, he put that team together. You know, mm. I followed Rick Carlisle. They got beat, I think, by Orlando and Rick lost his job. But he had he instilled some values in that team that, you know, I believed in to be honest with you, and Joe did. When I got the job, Joe told me, look, I want you to play Tayshawn and Memo O'Core because I think they really can play. And Rick didn't play a lot, them a lot. And I think they'll really help us win. And then when you put a backcourt together, you know, with Chauncey and Rip, they complemented mm. each other. And then you have Tayshawn, and then you have Ben, and then you're at Rashid. I mean – I think that's as good a first team as you could possibly have during that era because they all could guard. They all were unselfish and mm. they all were, you know, great teammates and could score the ball in their own way. And then, you know, BJ, I guess, agree with me now. Look at the benches now right. in the NBA compared to the benches when he played and when I was coaching. Mm. On our, our second team at Mike James – and Lindsey Hunter, Lindsey Hunter maybe as good a defensive point guard as there is whoever yes. played in the league. Yep. Mm. We had Corliss Williamson, who was a matchup nightmare. You know, we had Memo, we had Eldon Campbell. Um, I mean, we were so deep um, that it was amazing. And the only way you could play against Shaq if you had 18 fouls. And we, <laughs> and, and we had Eldon, Memo, and Ben Wallace and, yep. you know, Ben maybe and Rashid are two of the most underrated big guys ever to play. Um, mm. uh, so that was, that was our team. We was so deep. I don't think that, you know, the league is not as deep now and the kids are so much younger. Now you look, you think about this. LeBron was bigger than Bam. You and I talked about that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's that mm-hmm. LeBron is actually was bigger than Carl Malone. And when, BJ and I were in the league. Carl Malone was a prototype power forward. Nobody could guard him. Um, and, you know, and LeBron, you got LeBron and Anthony Davis on the same team. I don't care how old LeBron is. He ain't getting any older to me. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's he's just a great, great player. But yep. um, it's different. Um, but that Detroit team, Joe put it together. It had great values, you know, we defended, we held 11 teams under 70 points. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I think you can't do that. We had six teams in a row we held under 70 points. And when New Jersey got an offensive rebound at the last second and scored 71 in the seventh game, my team were ready, was ready to kill Darko Milchek for not boxing out. <laughs> Poor Darko. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Coach, I, I, I want to ask you because I, I value your your opinion so highly. The center position today in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I always like to say I was a little guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big guy, but I was trapped in this little body. I love bigs. <laughs> I, 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 I mean – I love Bill Cartwright. When I first came in the league, I had such an appreciation for the job of how bigs and what they had to do back then, how they had to put, they had to control the paint, establish the physicality of the game. 
And they were the last line of defense. There was such an enormous responsibility. And now you look at the bigs today and they're gone. You know, mm -hmm. small ball is here. If you were coaching today, coach, tell me about the bigs and what you would do with the bigs today. Because, I mean, I, I love them, but somehow we phased them out of the game. And, and what would you do today? Well, I think my responsibility first, BJ, would be to coach the players and put them in the best position to be successful. And I only took over one winning team in my career. All the other teams were losing teams. And there was a reason we lost. Maybe bad culture, maybe bad coaching. Maybe we, we weren't a real good team. But um, I still believe in the big guys. You got two jerseys behind you that are two of the greatest players ever. You know, Will played for my coach, Frank McGuire, and averaged 50 points and 30 rebounds. <laughs> Could you just say that again, you know, Coach? Could you just say that again? He averaged what? What did he average? <laughs> yeah, averaged 50 points and 30 rebounds. And if he scored 40 on Friday, he had to get 60 on Saturday to get his average. So, you know, Kareem, what, Kareem scored 38,000 points went to four years of UCLA mm -hmm. and we, we forget about that. We, you know, we talk about Michael, Michael missed two years in retirement and then he went through his sophomore year at Carolina, you know, Larry bird actually missed five years. So, right. you know, but my, my thing is, and you mentioned it earlier, BJ, I think the game is to get a high percentage shot to get fouled, to get a chance to get an offensive rebound and a chance to get back. And when you talk about the responsibilities of big guys, I told every one of the big guys I've ever coached, always be in front of the ball. Be in front of the ball on offense so we can get you down and get you easy baskets and maybe keep your big man from rebounding the ball because he knows you're running on every play. And then you flatten the defense out. You get us a high percentage shot. We reward you. You protect the paint. You don't let anybody come down and shoot a layup against us. And then you rebound the ball. And on on defense, be in front of the ball. Because now, if a big guy is not in front of the ball, 90% of the early offense is some ball screen. Mm -hmm. So if your big guy is not in front of the ball, he's not there on a ball screen in early offense to help you. So I, I, I'd look for every team that I would ever be fortunate enough to coach again to try to have an important post player that could get us an easy basket, could get us fouled, could get somebody else an easy basket because people might have to double them. And it protect the rim that if, God forbid, we got beat, that we had somebody behind us that would, you know, protect us. And we don't, we don't have enough of that. Um, and, you know, I remember um, – you know, I spent a lot of time with Wilt when I was at UCLA. Um, and he had to play against Bill Russell 15 times a year. <laughs> I remember when I was co I was coaching, you know, sometimes you only played against Shaq twice or David Robinson twice. You know, the most you're going to play against the great center like a team maybe four times unless you got into the playoffs. But you were playing against these guys – you know, Robert Parrish against, you know, Kareem. I don't know how many times those guys had to play against each other. So it's it's crazy now. I I I like it. Um, 
I don't like the fact that anybody could take a shot. Um, I think there's value in you being a ball mover or setting a great screen, you know, or proving a passing angle and making an extra pass. But let Reggie Miller take any shot he wants. But I don't think everybody should do it. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the threat of throwing it inside and getting fouled, getting a high percentage shot is we don't think about it enough because, you know, BJ, how many times did a coach tell you every quarter, let's have four one shot fouls? Right. You know, we don't want to put them in the bonus early. We don't even talk about that anymore. I never hear anybody saying that anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we're fouling guys shooting three-pointers. Right. Um, so, I don't know. I value the big guys. What you said about Bill Cartwright, I think, is why he was such a great teammate and such a great player. And if he was playing today, you'd be dumb not to tell him the same things that I guess Phil told him to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And coach talking about the bigs, I mean, obviously Anthony Davis is the guy that everyone saw in the finals. He moves over, slides over to the five. He can be that rim protector. He could start the Bray. He could shoot the three. He can do all those things. But BJ and I, we fell in love with a guy that goes, you know, by the name of Joker, Nikola Jokic. And I, I feel like that's someone that you would enjoy as well. And, and the fact that Jokic is able to, yeah, I know we, we want to get rid of the pick and roll, but Jokic might run it better than any guard in the NBA uh, when push comes to shove. So uh, what was it like watching him kind of thrive in the playoffs and obviously bring Denver back and get that 3-1 comeback on the Clippers? Well, you know what? When you go to Europe, those kids at early on, they don't pigeonhole them. You know, mm-hmm. everybody works on every skill so offensively the europeans are so far ahead of us i think in terms of their understanding of how to play offense where Mm. the next pass should be you know Mm. how to set a screen how to roll you know how to set your man up how to use a screen Jokic, i mean i mean his skill level is unbelievable his iq is incredible and the fact that your best player loves to pass and thinks pass first makes everybody on your team better um and he does it i mean i don't know he he sees the play before it really happens Mm. and that's what the great ones do they know when a guy is going to be open before the guy even knew he was going to be open he just sees so far ahead so i i love i love watching him i love that team Mm. you know i'm sorry i'm sorry grant left but i i really thought that was a terrific team um when you talk about anthony davis i i watched him in college do you know anthony was the fourth highest scorer on kentucky right yep and he was the first pick yeah and you know but he went with a coach that anthony allowed him to coach him you know john's not afraid to coach these guys and he accepted it and then you know he fits in so great with lebron i mean Mm. You get when you got two of the best players on the same team, it's uh, it's pretty devastating. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I could talk to you all today, but I, I, I have to ask you this. You've been in and around the game. You've seen all of these wonderful players over the years. Is there any player that you wish you would have had an opportunity to coach that possibly mm-hmm. you didn't coach? Like who would. Who would be the one player that you would have loved to have had an opportunity to coach? Well, there's there's so many of them. 
BJ. I don't know if they'd like me to coach them. <laughs> but a, a couple of guys that I almost had the opportunity to really coach them. One, I coached Sean Livingston after he was really hurt. Mm. I got him in Charlotte. He was just coming back from injury. Yes. But before he got hurt with the Clippers, yeah, he was. He was. I something. thought that kid. I thought that kid had a chance to be as good as anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then this one will drive you crazy. I got Kwame Brown when I went to Charlotte. Right. Um, and Kwame had been with the Lakers, been with Detroit, been with Washington as the first pick in the draft, and wasn't ready for it. Um, Michael, you know, was a teammate of his in Washington. Michael brought him back to Charlotte. And um, he he brought his high school JV coach to live with him. And he said, Coach, I just want to find a way that I can play in this league and be an asset. I said, well, the way you can do that, Kwame, you can move your feet as well as any big kid I've ever seen. You're as strong as anybody I've ever, I've ever coached. I think you could be one of the great defensive rebounders and defenders at that position. And then as time goes by, we'll work on the other areas. And he was making unbelievable progress. Two days before the regular season started, he sprained his ankle. Mm. And I never got to coach him because I lost my job after about 16 games. But um, I, I always felt for that kid and I always admired Sean, but it, there's so many I, I just admired, BJ. Um, I can't tell you, but, you know, when you did it as long as I did and you were surrounded by all these great players and great coaches like I was, um, I go to the park, to be honest, and see kids bouncing the ball. I want to coach them. <laughs> you know, I remember one time, Coach, we were sitting by each other in summer league. And I can't remember which game it was. But I remember you started coaching as we were watching the game, you and I. You would you would talk to me, and then the game would come back down on this end, and did you start coaching? And then it was like, and then the kids were like looking at you, like they were looking, at you, they were like, "That's Coach Brown." It was like, and I loved it. I remember I was watching. I was like, "He's just a lifer. He can't help us." It's like me watching the games. I can't help myself, and I thought it was one of the the great moments. It was one of the great moments for me. Just. You know, you were watching and you saw a mistake and you had to correct it right there. You know, it was like, it was fabulous. It was, uh, it was one of the greatest things ever. And uh, I love you for that. You have such passion for the game and coach. And um, I hope that you, you know, you get back to getting on the sideline because I know it's, I know it's there. I know the passion, the fire is still there. Uh, I, I talked to Tate about this. I, I don't care about being a head coach, but you, you went through it with, Tex winner. Yes. Um, I want to, I want to be like Kim and Johnny Bach or Pete Carell. I still want to do that. I want to share what I was taught, but Mm -hmm. you know, I think sometimes I think when you get older, you get dumber. Um, so (laughs) I don't know. Well, coach, well, coach, we know that's not true. We appreciate you sharing uh, your stories and your wisdom with us. We want you to be uh, as familiar and regular on the program as you want to be. We we need your basketball wisdom. We want to hear from you. Uh, we got NBA basketball coming back. College basketball is going on right now. So we appreciate you coming on, pushing through, and we'd love to have you back. Thanks again, coach. Thanks, Tate. BJ, hey, you guys coach. stay stay okay. safe. 
Thank you, yes, coach. Sir. Love you guys. Right. Love we you will. too, coach. Be well. Yep. Be, be safe. You, Hit them straight, coach. Hit them straight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye, guys. Thank Perfect. You. Thanks, coach. Thanks. Enjoy your night. Yep. Thanks, Sage. Quick break to get a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is wishing you the happiest of holidays. And to kick off the season of giving, DraftKings has new promotions and odd boosts every day this week. Luckily for us sports fans, there is an abundance of action taking place this week. Football teams are in the hunt to secure their place in the playoffs while college basketball season is just getting underway. There is no better place to get in on all the action. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new players the chance to earn a sign-up bonus up to $1,000 when signing up using promo code LASTDANCE. DraftKings Sportsbook has endless ways for you to bet from live betting to betting on your favorite players. They do it all. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your own convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code LASTDANCE when you sign up and get up to $1,000. That's code LASTDANCE to get a deposit bonus up to $1,000. For a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, must be 20 or older New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus. Deposit bonus requires 25 times play through. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Back to pushing through. All right, BJ, before we get out of here, we got to talk about this. This is uh, you and I, we we famously on this show and pushing through. We like to get the, the news and the notes and the stories. We like to accumulate them all. We like to just share them with each other. We like to laugh about what we read and what we see. So ESPN comes out. ESPN comes out with their NBA's ranking of the top players, top 100 players. They put out their top 10 list. It is shared with you. Uh, and, and I'll just read the top five right now just for you so everyone at home can listen. LeBron James, number one. AD, which stands for Anthony Davis at number two. Giannis Antetokounmpo, the reigning MVP at number three. Luka Doncic uh, at number four. At number five, Kawhi Leonard, finals MVP in 2019. At number six, Kevin Durant, who's coming off an Achilles injury back with the Brooklyn Nets as well. So, BJ, that's your top six right six, there. Keep going. I, I Keep going here. Okay, I'm going to keep going. All right, so number seven, we got Dame Lillard there in Portland. We love Dame. This is Dame time. We all know that. Number eight, we have Stephen Curry, who has won, I believe, three NBA championships, a unanimous MVP. James Harden, also an MVP there at number nine. And at number 10, our favorite player in the NBA, a man that is so close to my heart, Nikola Jokic, a.k.a. the Joker. Those are the top 10 players in the NBA, according to ESPN. BJ Armstrong, according to you, what do we see here? Are you giving me side eye? What's happening? Are you? Are you? Did you? Are Are you there? Are you passing out? What's happening? I'm trying not to do my best impression of Kyrie Irving right now. Okay. Are you worried about the pawns? Get the pawns out of here. Yeah. Don't Don't play with the pawns. How do we make these lists? What's the criteria? Yeah. I need yeah. more before I respond. Give me more. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the thing that jumps out of me right away is we have Giannis, Luka, mm-hmm. and Jokic, right? We have three players, three foreign-born players now in the top 10 in, in the, the top NBA. 10 in the league, yeah. In the, according to this list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the criteria now for the best player in the league? I need more before I respond. <laughs> I need more. Okay. Just, just give me more. Give me something, Tate. Mm. You know, I 
I'm not watching, you know, other networks close close enough to yes. comment. I need to know the criteria. Yeah, I think the criteria is legacy. Uh, and LeBron James, he has owned that category for quite some time, a decade at least. Uh, and legacy-wise, says he is the number one player in all of basketball right now because he won the championship, and that's according to Reddit, uh, and that's according to the NBA pawns, as Kyrie Irving would call them. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I am fascinated by the idea, though, BJ, of who is, quote-unquote, the best player in basketball. There's obviously 10 players on this list. There's obviously, I mean, I'll make it simple. One of the player, one of the 10 players on this list we think is the best player in basketball currently, correct? They did not at least leave off someone that is that is number one that is not on the top 10 list, right? They're not that egregious. No. Well, my initial reaction to this list, my mm -hmm. initial reaction is the following. Giannis is the best player on this mm. list. Mm -hmm. Because as I look at this list, I'm saying the following. If I put Giannis with any of those other nine players, Giannis would win the championship. Mm. And I can't say that about the other players on that list. Mm -hmm. If I put Giannis with any of those other nine players on that list, they would be the favorite to win that championship. Mm -hmm. And I think AD might be number two. Uh, when you t If you do it by your criteria right there, if you put AD with I, anyone I, I, else on that well, list. My criteria is winning the game. That's my criteria. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I, I'm not into the legacy. I'm not into... <laughs> narratives. Narratives, yeah. career. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I want to say this campaigns. so that we yeah. can look at the honest <laughs> list right now. Just the list yep. in this present moment. LeBron James clearly has had... He's the best player for of his this career. Era. Yep. Of his era. Yep. No question yep. about it. Yeah. We're looking we at that. the list as it is today. Presently. Yes. Present list. If I put Giannis with any of those, if Giannis and LeBron was on the same team, they probably in the 82 game schedule, they probably win 70 games. Mm -hmm. If I put Giannis in AD, if I put Giannis with Luca, if I put Giannis in Kawhi, you wouldn't be able to score. If mm -hmm. I put Giannis and KD, Giannis and Dame, Giannis mm -hmm. and Curry, Giannis and Harden, Giannis and Jokic. <laughs> They're the favorites. And I don't care who else you want to put on the list mm -hmm. together. If you put Giannis and whomever, they are the heavy favorites. I can't say that about the other nine guys. Mm. Now, do I think LeBron and AD are the best combination on the list? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, the best duo on the list by far. They're two top five players. Absolutely. Yes. But if you put Giannis and Kawhi or Giannis and Luka. Mm. Or Giannis and Curry or, for that Giannis matter. Giannis and I mean, Curry. You, yep. you got an argument here. Yep. Now, I'm just looking at winning. I'm not looking at who's got the best, you know, PER, who's got the best shooting percentage, who's got the best, whatever your yeah. criteria is. Wins above replacement, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Just looking at, I'm looking at 
who's going to affect the bottom line, which is winning. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the list and I'm going, that guy affects the offense and he affects the defense in a way mm-hmm. that if you put another player next to him of this caliber, it's a wrap. If you put Giannis <laughs> and AD together, mm-hmm. how would you score? <laughs> how would all you I score? see, yeah, all I see in my head right now is that picture when it's Giannis, John Henson, and uh, Larry Sanders, and they have their arms like all the way across, and it's like across the entire floor, right? And that's what Giannis provides. Yeah, for I, I'm just team, saying obviously. today. Now, clearly, some of the combinations would be better than others. Yeah. Okay. But that's Giannis is the say. reigning MVP, so you're saying let's give the reigning MVP his due and put him number well, one on the list. I, I, that would make sense. That checks the, out. The MVP, his effect, he has an enormous effect on the bottom line mm. for the game. He has an yep. enormous effect on the on, on the game itself. You know, if you know KD is coming off of an injury, okay. If KD wasn't injured, you probably have him. I'm going to say he's probably in the before he's got to be in the top three or four players. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a very, I mean, arguably, I mean, it was, said, uh, arguably he was number one been, in 2018, probably. He could have yeah. arguably be the number yeah. one player. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you put Giannis and a healthy Kevin Durant on the same team, it's a wrap. Mm-hmm. You follow what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> The, the, I mean, Luca, Luca, and Giannis is. Uh, I mean, that, Giannis, that sounds terrifying for every other team in the league. The, the, that's all, as it currently is, mm-hmm. as it's, as that list currently is. So, you know that that's that was my initial reaction on the list. I'm glad you brought that list up, Midas. <laughs> Thank you, Midas. You got BJ fired up. That's you, what we need. You do have me fired up because <laughs> all of this. Who's the best? How's the best? I, I need I need to explain. You just don't throw up names and then just walk away. Yeah, yeah. That's, just, look, ex, that's... explain it. Ex, explain how, how. Explain why. Explain your reasoning. Mm. It doesn't have to be right or wrong. Just explain your reasoning. But mm. if you're talking about winning games, winning that one guy who who's number three on this list, you put him with any of them other guys. I'll take my chances with him. Mm. Mm. Right now. Yeah. Right now. R- right now. Giannis right Antetokounmpo. Right, right, right now. I mean, he's the most coveted player in the league. We see it. Every every other team in the league it, right now is trying to prepare themselves to make a pitch to Giannis Antetokounmpo. That says Jeez. enough about the value that he has, obviously, in the league. But I wanted to point out again, Jokic at number 10. What The respect is there. The people are it's, noticing. The big man, he's making him waves. We love to see that. Uh, I mean, James, think about it. Think about this. Yeah. We have only one center mm. on the entire list. Yep. Think about AD, that. AD slides over the center, so AD, he can't. Yeah, he's not a center. KD he, slides over to the five. He's not a five. It's just Jokic. He's the only real. Embiid is the one that could be on this list if all things come together. Obviously, he has the talent right. to be on this list. So Jokic, Jokic and Embiid, bam, obviously made some noise for you know the big man. Um, yeah, so those are the guys that we could see the the big you know conversation. I want to talk about one more thing. Pat Riley, the GM, uh, you know the the head honcho for the Miami Heat, you know the the overseeing uh, hand for all things Heat propaganda. He came out and said James Harden for Tyler Hero, no way. 
we we don't know how true all this is, but that was a report that came out. And I just want to say that's that's genius, right? BJ, you agree this is marketing genius. You get ahead of the story, you pump up your team, you say, hey, nobody is available on this side. We're doing just fine here at the Miami Heat. The culture is doing great. Tyler Hero's here to stay. I think that's a smart move for the Miami Heat. Pat Riley is the master. <laughs> He's yes. the master. <laughs> When I, about, that, yeah. when I read that, when I read that on my timeline on Twitter, mm. shout out to Twitter. <laughs> when I read that, I just started clapping at yeah. the breakfast ta- at the breakfast table. My wife was like, "What are you doing? What happened?" <laughs> I was like, "Pat Riley is utilizing <laughs> other platforms mm-hmm. to light a fire under his team." Yep. Now. Tyler Hero had to have read that. Mm-hmm. And my response, if I was Tyler Hero, would be the following. I better show up at the arena this year. And produce. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Pat Riley, they value They value me over Harden right now. Over Harden. Because there are a lot of people who may think... <laughs> That Harden is a better player. But Mm. my president values me more to publicly come out and say that I got something to prove. Mm. Pat Riley didn't didn't and won't allow this team to rest on what they did last year. He's already put out new goals, finding ways to communicate with his team. And Mm. I thought it was genius that Whoever broke that story, because, you know, (laughs) sources said, but this wasn't a source. This was Pat Riley. So Mm -hmm. it was strategically put out there, and I just thought it was brilliant. That, to me, is leadership at its finest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because now Pat Riley is already setting the table. We need you to be a better player. Yeah. And we're putting our confidence in you, and we said it. We're standing yep. on what we believe here as an organization. Genius type stuff. It was brilliant. So if anyone saw me clapping at my table, <laughs> that's why. Stop and, looking into BJ's house. Yes, Leave him yes, alone. Let him, let, let him enjoy his breakfast. My yeah. wife <laughs> was like, what are you doing? <laughs> my, my kids are like, what are you doing, dad? What's, yeah. I just, yeah. I love it. Pat Riley, he, he's still sharp. And that was that was terrific. Now, let's get the season started. Tonight is our first game. Yep. And Tate, as they say, let the games begin. Let's do it, BJ. We appreciate everyone tuning in to Pushing Through as always. We will be back next week with, you know, basketball thoughts. Basketball is happening. We got the Clippers taking on the Lakers. Like you said, preseason basketball is underway. The real season not far away. We can't wait for all the, you know, all all the topics and things. Hopefully we get more top 10 lists so we can get BJ fired up. Hopefully Pat Riley keeps whispering to his players uh, through the media. We'll always enjoy that. And uh, BJ, if you're in water, make waves. We'll see you on Tuesday.